0: Hey, friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a friend to join me, and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. We have done it, we have made it to the very last Wednesday in August. August feels like a transition month to me. I don't know how to explain it. It's like we're ending summer and we're moving into the fall and I just love it. You guys have started school. My kids have started school. We are in the groove and one of the best things that's happening, well, two things I want to tell you that are awesome that are happening. Number one, we have our first Texas Longhorn home game this Saturday and if you don't know, I love college football. I love high school football too when my kids are playing, which one of them is. I really love college football and I really love going to the college football games at the University of Texas. So this weekend is our first home game. You will find me there cheering on my longhorns. The second really great thing I want to tell you is that tonight is our book club conversation with our August book club. This month, all of our book club friends over at My Happy Hour Book Club have been reading a novel by Joanna Rojas Vaughn. Her book is called An American Immigrant, and it's a novel, and it is so good. We have all loved it so much. And tonight, we have our book club chat with her. Now, if you get my newsletters, you know all about this. But if you want more information, go to patreon.com slash the happy hour. Now, Patreon is a paid subscription. So this is a paid book club membership. But I want to tell you this, it's $10 a month. And here's what you get, which I think is really, really great. You're going to get a copy of a book that hasn't yet been released. So the book we're reading this month, an American immigrant, it came out in the middle of the month, but all of our book club friends got it at the beginning of the month. You're going to get that through a PDF, something you can download to your computer. Every once in a while, our book club publishers will send out hard copies to our book club readers. But you get a copy of the book and then you get a conversation with the author. At the end of the month, it's a live book club conversation. And you also get all of our podcast episodes ad free. Now we love our advertising. They help the podcast Stay in business But you also get it ad-free for that $10 a month. Y'all, we'd love to have you join us. Go to patreon.com slash the happy hour. Over there, you'll be able to join us tonight for our conversation. It's gonna be fun. You'll wanna be there. But you're also gonna be able to get into our book club that is next month in September, which I'm announcing tonight on the live conversation with Joanna. So join us tonight if you can. Go to patreon.com slash the happy hour. It's $10 a month to join our book club. I would really love to have you over there. All right, y'all, today is a great show. I have told you things I'm excited about, but I am really excited about you hearing this conversation. Tadashi is on the show with us today. Tadashi is an artist. He's a musician. He's a communicator. He's a writer. He's a husband. He's a dad. Him and his wife live in Atlanta, Georgia. He's a Texas guy through and through, though, and you're going to hear him talk about it today. But I've been wanting to have Tadashi join me on the happy hour for a really long time. We met this year through a mutual friend, and I remember hearing parts of his story, and I knew this... This is compelling. This needs to be shared. I want my listeners to hear about this. So Tadashi starts out the show by telling us about how he came to follow Jesus, and it was on campus. He was a student at Baylor University right up the road from me in Waco, Texas, and someone shared the gospel with him. It is a beautiful, simple message, and I never get tired of it, and it reminds me of our shows that we had this summer from the Encounter series. If you missed any of those, I highly recommend you listening to them. But Tadashi and I also have a conversation about tragedy. Tragedy struck his family a couple of years ago when him and his wife walked through the loss of one of their children. He talks about how it shaped him, how he had to find this new normal, and there was no manual for how to live in this new normal. It's a conversation that will stick with me for a long time, and I know you're going to enjoy it. Uh, If you have friends that have walked through tragedy, and I don't just mean tragedy of losing a child, although that is extreme tragedy. All of us have walked through hardships, and all of us have walked through tragedy, and I know that Tadashi's words are going to be encouraging to you guys. He's not speaking them as someone who doesn't understand. He's speaking these words as someone who has been deeply affected by loss, and so I listen to his words. I'm encouraged by them, and I'm challenged by them. You guys, I can't wait for you to hear this conversation. Here is Tadashi on the happy hour. Hey, Tadashi, welcome to the happy
1: hour. Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: I am excited to have you. I have been wanting to have you on the show for a while, and then we had a conversation, and you had a conversation with people on my team, and they're like, Jamie, you're going to die when you hear his whole story (laughs) and all the things. And so I'm just happy to have you here. Now, I want to start with this. Uh, I'm a Texas girl, and you're a Texas guy, and you were just in our state this weekend.
1: I was, I was, man. Sadly, uh, God moved me to Atlanta, (laughs) Georgia, um, out of the great state of Texas. Um, I came here because the label that I'm on, Reach Records, is here. A lot of the people that I grew up in the faith with um, when I was in college moved here to do ministry. And so uh, I just wanted to be around people that were family. I, I say I have, you know, we all have, blood relatives and relatives in the blood. And so I wanted to be near those relatives in the blood and and have my kids grow up around them saying, calling them uncle and aunt and just being a family, being in community. So I'm out here.
0: Isn't it crazy? Like even you saying that, Like I'm so grateful for my family. I just have one brother, mom and dad, still married, all the things. And so grateful for the family that God placed me in. But- how cool of God to also say, hey, I'm going to also give you people who you're not related to at all, but feel like family. And I think that is like, I have a great relationship with my parents, but often people don't. And I think the kindness of God to say, it's okay, I'm going to give you people to be family. That's really cool that he does that.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I I think about, as you said, that I thought about, um, I remember becoming a Christian And um, people were asking me about my mom, about my dad. And I was like, well, I grew up with my mom, but I didn't really know my dad. And I saw God kind of provide these father figures in the Mm -hmm. faith who would step in and Do fatherly things with me. And it's just always been a reminder like, God, you're going to meet my need. Like, you'll provide Mm -hmm. when necessary. So,
0: that is so cool. That is so cool. Well, I want to ask you about when you started following Jesus. But first, if anyone doesn't know you or what you do, what do you do with your life when you're not on the happy hour with Jamie Ivey? What are you doing?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So, for the last 15 years or so, I've been a national, international recording artist, uh, hip hop, Christian hip hop performer. Uh, and I've been able to travel the world to do it. And it's been phenomenal. That's been kind of the main thing that I've been doing. And then here recently, I stepped into doing more of what I believe is my full purpose of being a creative communicator. So everything from music to voice acting, public speaking, and writing, the list goes on and on. But I'm leaning into that. Preaching,
0: preaching,
1: preaching. I just watched a clip
0: from you from this weekend and it was so good. Yeah, you You were at Harris Creek, weren't you?
1: I was at Harris Creek, yeah. 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 Shout out Waco, shout out Baylor.
0: Shout out Waco, shout out Baylor. Okay, that makes me think, let's talk about Waco and Baylor because I think that's where your story with Jesus begins. Yes. And um, we've had a lot of Baylor people on the show, by the way, which I think is so funny. I guess maybe it's because it's like, it's a Christian school, like we can say it, that, you know. It is. Yeah, it is. We're, so, we're great
1: people. We're, we're just great people, though. That's all. Totally,
0: that is. y'all are all just great people. But I really <laughs> have, and it's so fun. My friend Amanda, who works with me, she's a Baylor graduate, and so she yeah. loves when we have Baylor people on. Um, but I want to, I want you to take us back to Baylor University when you started there, and your, um, I believe you were playing football uh, there. Talk to us yeah. about what yeah. happened when you had an encounter with Jesus. I think yeah. on the Baylor campus is what I've heard.
1: It it was, it was. So, my freshman year in college, I'm sitting in the uh, we called it the sub. It's the student union building, and we're sitting in the sub. And I'm having a conversation with a group of people. It's probably like fifteen, twenty of us. And in my younger years, for sure. I mean, it's probably still true of me now. But in my younger years, for sure, I was very much so wanting to be the life of the party. I had to be the one that was the most outspoken, the loudest, the funniest, the wittiest, the coolest, the whatever. And so along with just getting to know people, that was kind of my motive underneath. Well, as I do so, I'm telling jokes, laughing at jokes, pointing at people, saying silly stuff, going around, being goofy, just all this stuff. And it's, I mean, it's a group of about 20, 30 of us. So when, we're, when I'm done, it's like, okay, I got to go to class. I'll see y'all later. This guy from the group follows me out. Never spoke to him before, I've seen him once or twice around campus, but never spoke to him. And he walked up. He's like, yo, what's going on, man? I just wanted to talk to you real quick. I know you're headed to class. I was like, oh, yeah, what's up? I just saw you in there. He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. My name's Keenan." I was like, hey, Keenan, um, Tadashi. He was like, man, it's good to meet you. He said, I, I, I just want to be kind of real with you for a minute. It feels like the things you were saying and the things you were doing, I feel like the Bible would call that sin. And sin is when you disobey a holy God. And so there's a real place called heaven and a real place called hell. I don't know if you're going to go to heaven. What do you think? And in this moment, I was like, excuse, like so much at once. Excuse oh, me, yeah, bro. Yeah. Like, what is happening? Now, granted, he's a freshman too, and he's just on fire for Jesus and zealous. And so he comes out the blue and just cold, cold evangelism just smacks me uh-huh. in the face. And I'm like, man, you don't you don't know me, bro. Like, what are you talking about? Well, I just don't know, man. If and I was like, don't worry about what you don't know. Like I know, I know, me and God are cool. We good. And I get frustrated with him, and I kind of shove him out of the way and go to class. Fast forward a couple of days, I go to the gym, I go to work out, uh, and I I end up working out with one of the uh, football players. I'd already walked onto the track team. Now is my opportunity to walk onto the football team, and I did that. And so. Being able to get onto the football team was a dream come true. Being from Texas, growing up playing football, I wanted to play D1. So I went and I got it. I'm at Baylor on a partial academic scholarship, partial athletic scholarship, and I'm loving my life. And then not too long um, after getting on the team, I work out in the weight room. I'm trying to really do too much on the squat rack like i'm trying to break the school record but mm. i'm really it's after a workout you never try to max out after a workout even more important you never listen to a teammate tell you something to do when you got a trainer right there always listen to the trainer like this never is listen advice, to that's good advice
0: people great yeah, advice
1: <laughs> great advice so lesson learned but uh i listened to the teammate and i put on too much weight on the bar and i go down and when i try to come back up from the squat position uh, i hear a snap internally And so I fall to the ground. I'm terrified. And the the doc comes out, He gets me, takes me to the doctor. Long story short, the doctor says, son, I don't know if you know this, but you have scoliosis. And uh, your spine is curved in two different places. And one is really dramatic. And he said, your hips, because of scoliosis, are both facing forward and one is pointed outward. And he said, I don't even know how you walked in my office. And I'm thinking to myself, like, Thank God I was able to walk in his office, you know, just sort of being, you know, thankful, gratitude to myself. And he goes, man, you have a choice. You can either play football, but I guarantee you're going to get injured in some way that may be severe. And so I would I would advise against it. Actually, I would say not play football. That way you can keep, get better, but keep and maintain the ability to walk. Because I fear you might not be able to walk if you get injured. And I Wow, that's freeze, a lot. It was a lot. It was yeah. a lot for my brain. I freeze, and then I panic inside, and then I look at him and I go, "Are you sure?" And he was like, "No, I'm. I'm pretty sure. I'm. I'm, I'm pretty sure that you need to consider this seriously." And I just kind of shake my head and drop my head down, and I'm like, "Man, I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna not play football. I'll stick with walking. I don't know, man. I just like ah, whatever, man." And I just felt heartbroken, yeah. and and I fast forward uh, from that moment. And I share with the team what's going on, and and they're like, man, just get better, just get better. You know, everybody's always rooting for you to get better when you're injured. And so I kind of knew then that it was done the way the coaches were acting. Yeah. And so I go back on campus and I sit down. When I was at Baylor, right outside the on the far, depending on where you're facing, if you're standing outside looking at the sub, the far left side is called that. There's a room called the cub, and next to the cub used to be this water fountain. And it was this beautiful water fountain that was like artistic, but calming, all these things. So I went and sat right there because I was just like, man, I don't know how to feel. I feel down in the dumps. I feel like I let people down. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed to go back home after mm-hmm. going here. Like, oh, uh, everybody who said I wasn't going to make it they're, they're going to be right. Like, I'm. I feel so horrible. And then the the same guy that shared the gospel with me walked back up with me. Walked back up to me.
0: Keenan is that and,
1: his name? Keenan. Keenan's
0: Kenan,
1: Kenan. <clears throat> back. Yeah, Keenan came back. So Keenan pops up again, and he's like, "Hey man, how you doing?" I was like, oh, "I'm I'm cool, whatever." Just kind of bothered down, and then I see him, and I'm like, "Oh, here comes this guy." <laughs> and he says, "Hey man, I'm um, I just wanted to talk to you again." And he goes, and you know, he gets into his conversation with me. And long story short, he says, "Man." I really believe God wants to save your soul. Like I think think at the end of the day, you can be as much of a bully or a mean person or strong person that you want to be, but if your good is not God's good, it'll never be good enough. Mm. And that phrase woke me up to be like, what do you mean? And he started to share the gospel again, and he said something I'd never heard before in my life. He said, God wants a relationship with you. God desires a relationship. And it it was kind of interesting because I, I tell people all the time, as a kid, I thought God was like my grandfather. Like, you know, when he's in a good mood, you can go over there and he's gonna, you know, give you money and cook for you and play with you. And it's just gonna be fun. And when he's in a bad mood, we don't go visit because it's not fun. We We all stay away. He's in a mood. Mm-hmm. So I thought that's how God was, to be honest. And he shared this and it kind of intrigued me more. And I was like, what do I do? And he started to share what I needed to do right there in that moment. And I don't know how to explain it other than it felt like a warm embrace on the inside. That's the best way I can say it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I dropped to my knees and I started praying to receive Jesus as my savior. And I started crying out the blue. It was weird. I was like, I'm not sad or anything, but I'm crying. Once I started to realize like, oh, I'm really doing this and what's happening Aware of the moment, I guess, in a, from a physical sense, I—I I don't. The, it just felt like peace came over me. Mm. For the first time in my life, I felt fully safe. I didn't feel like I was in danger. I didn't feel like somebody was after me. I didn't feel like I'd have to run from anybody. I didn't feel like I'd have to fight anybody or protect myself. I didn't have to feel like I had to prove myself anymore. Mm. I was good, and I, I stood up and I was teared up more. And I was like, bro, what do I do now? Like, I I think Jesus really saved my soul. Like, what do I do? And he said, man, now you just walk with him. And I go, well, what do I do with that? How does that happen? (laughs) He said, do you you have a Bible? I was like, no, I ain't got no Bible, bro. He was like, we're going to get you a Bible. And he got me an NIV version of a a Bible that night. And he said, every morning and every night, you just read this book, bro. Just go in the book and read it. Now, at the time, I mean, both of us are young in life, yeah. um, but we're also, you know, he's he's been a believer since junior high, and now he's a freshman in college. I, I'm a two-day-old Christian, <laughs> yeah. and he's like, just read it, just read it. So I'm in my room, like, <laughs> I'm in my room, like you're trying to play, like, um, 20 questions, yeah, like, all right, God. All right, yeah, all right, God, tell me how to live for you. Flip. And I just open up <laughs> to something and read. But I'll never forget sitting in my dorm at the desk and I flip open to this Bible verse. And it was in the Old Testament, but it was the story of, Eze- of Ezekiel and how he was saying to, to Israel, like, God is judging you or something. But I remember that vividly, that moment, and being like, Okay, God, how do you? It made me think, God, how do you want to be with us? Like, mm. how do you exist with humans, basically? Yeah. Then the next day, he, um, I hung out with him, and he and I memorized my first Bible verse ever. Um, I'd memorized scriptures as a kid for programs, and yeah. you know, I, I, and we were. My mom wasn't really in church like that. We were off and on, but. I remember in high school doing it for a program and other stuff, or man, it's Black History Month and Martin Luther King, and and I memorized certain verses for that. But to memorize scripture as a Christian and it be the first one that you really, really gravitate to and it it pulls at your heart um, was Galatians 2.20. He and I hung out together every day and we read through Galatians and 2.20 just stood out to me. And he was like, he was like, you like that verse. And I was like, I do. He was like, let's just memorize it. And I was like, what? He was, and I, in my head, I was kind of like, you can do that? We, we, we do that with the Bible? And so I memorized Galatians 2.20 with him. Um, but from, that, from there, Keenan, we never knew what it was. We never called it that. But really, Keenan was discipling me. We were walking sure. together. And we got to a point to where uh, we became kind of the the guys on campus that people knew were Christians. It was like, wow. oh, no, they're really, it, it was interesting to be at a Christian school yeah but yet be around people who were bothered that you were Christian. <laughs> and it's like, what is happening? You're too extra. Like, we don't want all that. And and so that was my life.
0: That is beautiful. Praise God for Keenan and his boldness to just walk up to you, an upperclassman, and say, "Hey, I see sin in your life." You know, it's beautiful. And we do a whole series in the summer. Tadashi, we just did it in uh, June and July, and asking people to share the story of them encountering Jesus. And um, yeah. it never gets old. It never gets old to hear someone's story of following Jesus. Now you're in college. You are now injured. You lost. You're not playing sports anymore. Mm-hmm. That's kind of gone. Yep. That was a dream of yours. It's gone. You're at a university, you're working, you follow Jesus. What is the rest of your, what happens next in your life? Like, what does it look like to pursue Jesus as a new Christian who just lost their football scholarship, who's in university and going, okay, God, you're good. And the verse you memorize is like, wow, isn't that like I've been crucified with Christ? Yes, nevertheless I live, yet not I.
1: But hey, Christ in me.
0: we're not playing uh, around. <laughs> we're not
1: playing around. We went, we went deep, straight to substitutionary penal atonement. I was like, <laughs> "Here we go. We in it now." And yeah. honest to God, that verse probably was one of the one of the most one of the grandest tools God could have ever given me to fight as a young Christian. Mm. And don't don't get it twisted. <laughs> I was all human. Old habits were still real. Temptation was strong. Sure. No skill set in how to really communicate what I think. It's just I'm just flailing and trying not to like make God upset. I'm still trying to believe that God loves me, and I'm wrestling and teetering between faith works based faith and and genuine faith that by grace through faith. And I'm just like God, help me, help me, help me. And um, <laughs> what happens next? There's two significant moments. One is um, Kenan convinced me because once I got injured, if Malcolm Gladwell is correct in the 10,000 hour rule, Mm -hmm. my 10,000 hours came being injured and laid up and just rapping all the time, like all the time in high school, junior high, like really eighth grade through high school, I would, you know, once in a blue moon, try to rap and freestyle just for fun, just to be kind of fun or cool or whatever. But in college, it really became a pastime. It was like, I don't care if there's music or not. I don't care if there's music with words already on it. Like we are rapping and we are mm-hmm. doing it for fun. And I'm trying to like get better and better and better, be more and more impressive, come up and try to be creative with stuff. And Keenan says, hey, have you ever thought about writing down one of those raps you do, uh, but do one for God? And, and I laughed so hard. <laughs> like, it was probably the hardest laugh I had that year. Like I laughed so hard. And he felt he kind of he didn't get offended, but it kind of like hurt him a little. Like, uh-huh. why are you laughing? I was, yeah. I was for real. I was like, bro, that's the corniest thing on earth. I'm not doing that. Like, you can't, and I literally said, I was like, you can't get a girlfriend rapping about Jesus. Like, I'm not doing that. And he was like, Man, I just think it would be so cool. And then fast forward, this is the way Keenan is to this day. If he has an idea, he will either be Blatantly honest with the idea, or he will massage you to get you to think about the thing he wants done before he presents the idea.
0: So then it's your idea.
1: Then it's my idea. Yeah, or it's at least my desire.
0: There's brilliant. I'm just like
1: yeah. And so, Kenan, you know, he led me to Christ. He has a lot of sway in my life. I have a lot of, of value and love for him. So when he when he said, "Hey, man," so there's a talent show that I want you to enter, and I think it would be good for you to write down some of your rhymes and rap about God. And I was like, I told you, bro, I'm not doing that. That's that's wild. Plus, it was a it was a uh what do you call it? It was a talent show that was being put on by a, a black sorority. Uh-huh. So all the all the women that I'm like hoping to be right. like a chance with one of them at least. Uh-huh. And the football players and the other Greeks, all of them are going to be there. I was like This is social suicide. I'm gonna ruin my life. (laughs) You not gonna get me to do this. And two weeks later, I was on stage doing it. He convinced me to do it, and it was horrible. (laughs) It was it was one of the worst songs ever done. I think I'm not gonna lie. Uh, So I it was it was seven people in the talent show. I got sixth place. I honestly think I honestly think I only got sixth because the guy who played seventh didn't finish what he was doing. He just walked <laughs> off. And I was like, yo, that was brutal. And I went on after him. So I was like, "Wow, that was brutal. The crowd was vicious. They were not about, they was not about somebody coming up being bad at what they were doing. It was really bad. And to top it off, I went after the girl who won. She could really sing. Like she sang, it was almost like the <laughs> the Texas collegiate unknown version of Whitney Houston. Like she could Ooh, really okay. sing. I was like, "Yo, this is crazy. You want me to go out there? And so then when they call my name, I go out and half of them know me, half of them don't. But I go out and a guy on the track team with me, he was a PK, so he loved God. He, was, he grew up in the church. He said, man, I'll make a beat and then play my keyboard while we do it. And then I'll play bass. So he literally had a, a Casio keyboard playing a piano loop with a beat loop, uh-huh. and then he had his bass guitar playing, <laughs> and then Keenan could sing. So he said, if you do it, I'll get up there with you. So Keenan's singing, and I'm getting ready to rap, and I do this song, and everybody freezes. <laughs> they are silent. There is no smiles, no smirks there's no movement they're just there and I, i'm i'm and you know back in the day hip hop songs used to have three verses so i'm rapping for like 6 minutes like it's not a short <laughs> song it's not a little song and so when it's done i get off stage and i'm like i can't believe i just did that i can't believe i just did that keena's excited like wait, go this was great man you killed it we loved it the dude the dude playing instruments is like man you you did you did great it's great and when I went out after the end of the talent show, and I got sixth place, and I walked up to my little circle of people who I, I would consider friends, you know, you did bad when they state <laughs> the action you did, not not how good it was. <laughs> man, you was up there, bro. You was <laughs> up there.
0: Right. <laughs>
1: wow, man, you did that. Okay, thanks. I guess that's then, it.
0: That's it. You uh, did like.
1: I knew it was bad then. And oh so gosh. It, the, the, the funny thing is the title of the song should have told me not to do it, but I wrote the title. The title is, it's the longest thing I've ever heard. It was, it's, are you ready to be down with Christ tonight? And it had a question mark. <laughs> and I was like, you- What year you is look. this, Tadashi? Uh, this was 1995.
0: Okay, this feels like 1995. You know what yeah. I mean? Like yeah. w- we watched a movie last night with our son, and it was Morgan Freeman and Ashley Judd. I can't remember what it was called. Oh and yeah, it, I know what you're talking about. It was in, and, and my husband and I kept going. This is the '90s, Katie. Yes. Like this is, it just it has a feel, the '90s it feel. Has that feel. And I, too. I can, I can, I can feel your song yeah. from the '90s with yeah. that long title. Well, yeah. um, you know, I know that your faith has played an important part in your whole entire life. Obviously, yeah. And, everything that you do and everything that you're doing now. Um I also know that you and your family walked through a terrible tragedy years ago. Yeah. And so there are a lot of people who are in the midst of tragedy. It's, you know, tragedy is this hard thing as a Christian because we want to we want to think that following Jesus means we're good. Like he's got us, which those are both true statements. Yes. But we think those statements mean everything's going to be just okay. And if you live life long enough, you realize that it's not, that it's hard, that there's tragedies, there's obstacles. And so I I don't need you to, you can just give an overview of what you guys walk through. But what I really want to talk to you about is what did it look like for you and your wife to walk through grief together, to walk through healing together, um, Mm -hmm. to get where you are today, which I would assume is not healed and not okay, but maybe better than you were yesterday. So I'd love for you to talk about that a little bit.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. Thank you for asking about it. Um, so my wife's name is Danielle. Uh, she's an amazing woman of God. Um, amazing. She graduated from Rice university with an electrical engineering degree. She is very much so a Texas native and proud of it. And, um, so she's my little nerd. I'm like, yo, you're the smart one. Hey, I, got, I Sure, I got to go to Baylor, but you went to Rice. I mean, okay. That's exactly graduated, right, guys. <laughs> yeah. Graduated with an electrical engineering degree. Graduated with honors. I'm just like, you're that person. Yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, for those that don't know, um, my wife and I lost our one-year-old son, Chase, a few years back. Chase uh, was the second son. We have Jaden, then Chase, and now we have Callan and we have Kai. And Chase passed away. And for the initial start of everything, I lived with this idea of, man, I'm good. I got faith. Kind of like you said, like, we're good, we're good. And yes, the overarching idea of that is is true. It is very true. And it's it's a truth that you can hold on to for sure. Nevertheless, there is a new normal that you've been presented with and there's this new existence that you're presented with and how to live with that there's no manual mm-hmm. there's no and there's no no personal guide in a sense scripture does guide you through the realities that things can happen and it does tell you here's what's going to benefit you in the long run but the intricate pragmatic day in day out intricacies of what it's like to live through loss of any kind, especially that of, of a child. Mm -hmm. It's not just, it's not specifically spoken about per se. Um, And so, you also realize there's not a lot of people on earth that you just run into who go through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, not anymore. I know at one point, way back when, they might've been more common, but now it's not. And when you hear more about the mortality and maternal rates than you do in children being born. And so it just was an odd thing for our community, our Christian community, our city, all of that. It was just an odd thing altogether. And it left me not knowing how to really function after a while. So I went through a very dark period. Um depression got a hold of me, anger and madness, like anger and being mad all the time mm. got a hold of me and it it kind of already it aggravated and activated other things within me that were already there, that were dormant that I never knew to deal with, was never aware of. And and in, in the depths of everything, it really did make me question my faith. Mm-hmm. Um you know, to your point, I'm an individual that I gave my life to Jesus at 18. Mm -hmm. Granted, there's somebody out there could be like, man, I gave my life to Jesus at five. I'm doing better. You know, sure. But at the end of the day, I'm like, God, I gave you my life at 18 when I was ready to go to college and be the man. I I had my own plan for what I wanted to be and what I wanted to do. And you showed up and ruined that in the best way possible. And now... I'm living for you since 18. And I mean, I'm doing music. I'm speaking and preaching. I've traveled the world sharing the gospel. I've been on staff at churches talking about you, discipling college students. Like, God, I've done the work. I expect a king's ransom. Mm -hmm. I expect when this is all said and done, every one of my children are around me with their children and their children's children, Mm -hmm. celebrating my life, as I, in my old age, slowly slip away into glory. Mm-hmm. Come on, God, I deserve right? that. Yep. Like, look at what I've done for you. I deserve that. Mm. And and that subtle thinking was entertained often in my mind. Mm. So much so that it became an expectation and a desire beyond simple desire. It became a need almost. Like, I, I expect this, God, from you. Now, take that notion and couple it with the way we view hardship in society. We view hardship as as a interruption to our lives. We don't view it as a common thing on earth. Mm-hmm. If we look at the grand scheme of the earth, it's like, no, hardship is common here. Mm-hmm. But if we look only at our own existence and the day-to-day ins and outs of it, we tend to think hardship is not that common. Yeah. And so take the notion of deserving a king's ransom and the false notion that hardship isn't common on earth and marry the two. And then live with a sense of entitlement because your father is the king of kings and Lord of lords, the God who owns all the cattle on a thousand hills. And you begin to live with this entitled perspective that everything is going to work your way because God loves you. And that's just how it's got to be. So when it doesn't go that way, you don't question your perspective, you question God. Wow. And that's what I did. I questioned God. I was like, God, you, you tripping, like you not doing what you said. Yeah. And I it took me years to get to a place through therapy, through friendships, through time, through prayer, through fasting, meditation, to get to a place to go, Oh, I was wrong. Mm. Okay, God, I was wrong. I recently taught in Dallas. Like you said, I was in Texas recently and I taught at a, a church um, in Dallas called Onward Church about the, the, the Lord's Prayer. Mm-hmm. And and my at first glance, right, the Lord's Prayer is really the Messiah telling them, Jesus is telling them, don't be like the Pharisees and don't be like the Gentiles, praying with big words or praying so you can be seen. Like, don't be out here with the big voice or the big words or both trying to be, um, trying to be impressive like don't do that because mm-hmm. you you've already received what you what you're really looking for. So don't bug God with that and use him for your own gain. Mm-hmm. And so I get that. I'm like, okay God, I get that. I humble myself. Now he approaches the prayer and he's like, okay God, our Father who art in heaven and he goes through this prayer and the more I study the prayer, the more I realize this is a messianic prayer. like this is really a prayer to God to bring about the messianic age your kingdom come, your will be done. We're like, God, bring this quickly. And as I wait for it, allow me to do the things to make your name hallowed on the earth. Mm -hmm. But if you move forward in the prayer, he gets to this point to where he says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Mm -hmm. And I studied that not only in the Greek, but in the Hebrew. And I realized this was a portion of the prayer where Jesus was making it known. The word temptation there is, and evil there is not just about um, committing sin or not committing sin. It's about the hardships of the earth mm-hmm. in and of itself, the evil of the world. Mm-hmm. Deliver us from evil, God. Don't let this come my way. Like this is going to happen to all of us at some point. Keep it far away because I'm on mission for you. And when I saw that, it reminded me of my season where I initially walked into the season of loss and grieving. And I remember feeling like this shouldn't have come my way. Like this, mm-hmm. I didn't need this to come my way, God. And realizing like, oh, Jesus was telling us in that prayer, this is a request to God that it doesn't come meaning that the possibility of it is really real. Mm. So when I saw that, it I literally, like studying for the time to go speak, I literally just dropped down and I, I was so blown away. And I was like, God, I wish I'd have saw this differently in my youth. Mm. I wish I would have understood this more and been prepared. But thank you for letting me see it now. I get it, God. Hardship is common on the earth, even if it's not common in your life. But nevertheless, and you said it when you prayed for us before we started Nevertheless, God's goodness is common as well. And he's good. He is good and he does good. Romans 5 says that his goodness leads to repentance. The Bible says to taste and see that he is good. Mm. You cannot ignore the goodness of God because of the hardship of the world. Nevertheless, you go to the God who is good and you pray that the hardship would not come your way. But if it does, deliver us, God, Mm. deliver me. And so I got to that place in my, my walk, and I feel like that's what's brought about a level of progress in the, in the grieving process. Like, this is still my normal. I mean, I live with it every day. I wake up and I have three loud boys in my house running around. One of them's over here now banging on the door, calling my name because <laughs> he, he doesn't care about what I do. <laughs> he's, the, he's seven and the youngest. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, I'm like, hey, I have an interview. I'll be right back. Uh-huh. He's like, good. Good. That's my time to come down there. Like, oh,
0: I want you now. I want you now.
1: I want you now. So I, I get it. I, I go out there to three loud boys and recognize one is not here, and he's not living in a certain way that I would want him to live. My dreams for him had to be mourned and let go of, just like his physical presence had to be mourned and let go of. And nevertheless, I know there are ways that I can honor him and care for him still, and there are ways that I can live to give meaning to all of this. The way I say it is I, you know, to give purpose to the pain. Um, and so that's kind of where I've, it's kind of how and and I've journeyed and where I've gotten to. And Danielle and I, we, I heard early, early in the grief process, (laughs) like, I mean like day one or two, uh, I'm really good friends with the guys from mercy me and the lead singer Bart. Um, Bart Miller. Bart called me and he was like, man, I I mean, (laughs) they're some of the most genuine people I know. And Bart called sobbing. And um, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it, but he called sobbing, man. And he was just like, man, I love you. And he's just praying for me and he's encouraging me. And we were on the phone for like 45 minutes. And he said, hey, man, before I go, I just want you to know the odds are not in your favor, like for you and your wife, like Mm -hmm. people who go through this don't make it. The odds are not in your favor. And I go, okay. And he said something that was super profound. And I'd never been told that before. He said, so when you grieve, grieve together as much as you can. Don't grieve separately. Even if you're grieving differently, you don't have to grieve separately. Mm. And that always stuck with me. And so I found myself fighting to grieve alongside of her, even if I'm not grieving the same as her. Um, And I will say, because of the way in which I responded to grief after only so long of being able to white knuckle my way through it. um, I definitely put her through a lot. Like she definitely had to endure dealing with a grown man who was responding like a nine-year-old who was not willing to live as who God wanted him to be. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of hardship in it. A lot of patience on her part, a lot of patience on my part, a lot of grace on her part. And so through all of that, we've gotten to where we are now, where it's still hard. Like it it didn't just get easy because time passed. Um, That narrative, in in my experience, is uh, the, the narrative or the notion that time heals all wounds in and of itself feel shallow. Mm -hmm. I know what it's trying to say. Like as time passes, things get easier. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm like, Hmm, they don't get good though. Like you got to work at that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You got to work at that. But and so we're still working. We're still trying to figure it out. But at the end of the day, what I do know is the perspective of God has to be right before I can ever get there. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I worked on. That's what I fought for. And, um, I'm not living with a with a naivete that says, "Well, God's good and faith is real, so just just do just deal with it." Like I'm not doing that to myself. I'm being genuine and honest about what I feel, like David in the Psalms, who went through everything because of his own actions and some, not because of his actions. But everything he he was dealing with and facing and mourning and grieving and and frustrated about, I'm like he could take it to God and be real about it. So I'm gonna do the same thing, and I'm I'm watching God. Respond not just honor it, but respond to it in ways of relief and release, and um, in certain moments repentance, and in other moments this receiving of me, like like I feel like I'm not pushed away by him, and that's been that's been awesome. So anyway, that all that.
0: He's not that grandfather waiting for you on a good day He's or a not. bad day. You know, I think that you sharing that thank you by the way. Um yeah. I think you're right. The percentage of listeners probably that have lost a young child would probably be lower. Um but I don't think there's anyone listening that hasn't gone through something tragic. And I don't right. think anyone listening who hasn't gone through moments of having to shift the perspective of God. I love you said that earlier as you like the thing that needed to change was not the goodness of God, but my perspective of what I deserved and what I should yeah. get. Yeah. And um, I've been thinking about that a lot in different ways, Tadashi, but in like what our perspective is, even living in North America as Christians and, you know, getting to travel around the world and see the work that believers are doing um, around the world and what believers are enduring around the world. You know, you talked about the hardship thing and I was like, man, I feel like in North American evangelical Christianity, we think we can just, we can (laughs) strengthen our way and we can solve anything and we can get our way through anything and we can do it. And there's a narrative of that that is being taught. And that's all good until you can't. That's it. You know, and then what are you left with? And I think that is what you were probably describing what happened to you when you lost your son Chase. You kind of going, well, "What am I left with?" Because yeah. I can't do this.
1: Yeah, that was my notion. In grief, I got to the point. Um, Tim Keller, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the one of the one of my favorite people that I got to meet. <laughs> um, Uh, Tim Keller's like sent his book on suffering to me Mm. Um, and we weren't super close friends. So I felt so honored that he would even think of me, but he sent me his book and he actually like earmarked chapters, like read Mm. these. These are, these are specifically for you. Like it wasn't just a, here's my book. And I wrote one endorse it. It was really a, you don't have to tell anybody it's a gift to you. And I've been praying for you. Here's something you need to read. I think it'll help. And then, so as I read it, I learned more. And as I pray through what I'm learning and processing it, I start to realize this sentiment that I've heard before, but it it was never really clear or never really understood fully until now, which was, um, until you lose, uh, everything you have, you'll never know that God is all you need. Mm. Like it, it really is that moment until he's until, uh, or the other way around until he's everything you have, you won't know he's everything you need. Um, those two ideas of of the same statement has been so true in my life now. And I'm just going, God, I have, I mean, I hit rock bottom and I had nothing and I was about to lose it all. And you were everything. You were the only thing. And, and from there it wasn't. And and so, sorry, the thought came into my mind from there, it didn't become this, well, it's me and God and I'm going to get right. Me and God. It was, All of the things that God provides, Mm. He Himself, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the truth of what Jesus did for us, the relationship provided through the body, Mm. the scriptures, songs, hymns and spiritual songs, like these, it was all these things, prayer and meditation and fasting, all the things that God provides for us that you see Jesus kind of exemplify and walk out in his life, mm. the totality of those things came about. Wise counsel, all of them played a role in getting me to a place where I can function today in a, in a, in a healthy way. It wasn't just this uh, ambiguous, ethereal, mm. me and God out here in the mm. wilderness together, and I'm just going to get right out here floating on my own in isolation. I was like, that didn't, that's not how he did it. Yeah. And so it, it it was when I say it's God it really was the whole the fullness of God's mm-hmm. counsel and and provision. It wasn't just me and me being spiritual alone with with my higher power
0: mm-hmm. if you yep. will. Yep. So anyway. You know it's beautiful I after um Tim Keller passed away this summer, there I was listening yeah. to a podcast and they were airing an old interview of his and he was talking about when he was first diagnosed with cancer and, um, him and Kathy would go away and they would have these moments of like sorrow and worry and all these things. And he said something that I might butcher it a little bit, but here's the the gist of it. And I don't think I'll ever forget this. He said they basically (laughs) had to come to terms with, did, did Jesus die on the cross? Did he raise from the grave? Is he coming back for his people? Then everything's going to be okay. And I was like, okay, like, okay, let me, let me put that in my brain right here. Like, okay, do I still, he basically was like, do I still believe that to be true? And if I still believe that to be true, it's almost like everything else is kind of going to work itself out. Now, obviously he's not negating any of the work with the Lord or any of our, yeah. all the feelings but yeah. He is saying a profound statement of
1: as yes. a follower
0: of Jesus, do I truly believe that God sent his son to die on a cross and he died a death that we deserved? And did he raise from the grave and defeat death? Yeah okay, everything's going to be okay. And I know that's yeah. a simplistic, that's a very simplistic idea, but it is the truth that we can hold on to. Um, yes. Everything falls under that. Yeah.
1: Yes. It's profound. Um, I <laughs> I remember hearing a pastor and I honestly thought he was being blasph- blasphemous in my youthful arrogance. Uh-huh. He said, if you're not living and having moments where you got a question whether or not what you believe is real, you ain't living. And mm-hmm. I remember him saying it so emphatically and with this sort of attitude that I was like, okay, okay, guy, whatever, like just dismissing him. And now I look back like, oh my goodness, he was not lying. Mm -hmm. This was so real. I have lived my life long enough to know things will come and you got to go gut check and go, okay, what do I really believe? What Mm -hmm. do I really believe? You know, Jesus upon Peter's confession and like, oh yeah, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. It's like, oh yeah, what a great moment. We all know those moments. We know the moments of you are Jesus, you're my Messiah, Christ be magnified in me, like all those things. But before he even says that, he says, man, who do people say that I am? Mm -hmm. Okay who do you say that I am? Mm -hmm. And those two questions for me, it wasn't just Jesus. It it, it would have been enough just to say, Peter, do you think I'm Christ? And him say, yes, Mm -hmm. and they keep it moving. But he intentionally, he never wasted words. He only said what the father told him to say. I think it's so significant that he asked those questions like, hey man, who do people say that I am? And it's easy for us to judge what other people think about Mm -hmm. Jesus. Mm -hmm. And then he says, who do you say that I am? Well, duh, it's obvious. I'm with you every day. I serve Mm -hmm. alongside you. I Mm -hmm. followed you. I dropped my nets. I did this Mm -hmm. and this. And we all can brag and boast about how we're really the ones living for him until life comes with that question. And then you got to figure out if you're going to be the one to deny him in front of the little girl by the fire, or if you're Mm going to be the one to tuck tail and run when the people show up with Weapons or Mm -hmm. anger and vitriol. You're like, "Uh, uh, hey, I just was going to church, bro. Like, (laughs) it's "It's not really me. And it's like I had to check myself and say, is that really me? Mm. And so I really did have multiple moments of talks with myself to 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 use an old term, speaking of the '90s, like I had to define the relationship. I had a DTR, Mm -hmm. DTR. my my walk with the Lord to be like, all right, God, do I really believe this for real? Because If I don't believe it, then what am I doing here? Why am I holding on to this so much? But if yeah. I do, then I need to see you. I need to mm. feel this more than just in moments of music, but in every other moment too, God. I need to be I need to know that it's a part of me and I'm a part of it. Yeah. And he made himself true and real mm. and known. So
0: Yeah, I'm grateful for you sharing that. And, you know, there's a saying like, oh, I would do it all over again just to get here. And I don't think that's necessarily true so much. Like, (laughs) I don't think that you would choose to lose your son, Chase. I don't think you would want to do it all over again. But I think there is truth to say, I see what the goodness that God has brought from this and that is what we can cling to as believers. Tadashi, grateful, grateful, grateful for you. All right, Thank I finished every show by asking our um, guests, what are they reading these days? What are you reading these days? Ooh,
1: that's good, that's good. So I just finished a book called Burn the Boats. It's not a religious book at all. It's not a Christian book, but it is by a guy who professes to be a Christian and he's uh, one of the guys that used to be on Shark Tank. And it's called Burn the Boats. And okay. um, the book is... The phrase burn the boats, that sentiment, it comes from people, people speculate where it comes from. Most believe it came from, honestly, uh, old Judean traditions where the idea is if there was a war to be fought, you would sail to the other, to the enemy shore, <clears throat> get off the boat and set them on fire. Mm. Cause the only way I go home is in my enemy's boats or I don't go home at all. And it was this notion for me of being all in, basically. That's a different way to say it. In my life currently, with everything that I'm doing with nonprofit work and music and voice acting and on camera acting, public speaking, preaching, teaching, writing, podcasting, like all these things that I know I'm doing, I feel like they're part of my purpose and who I am. But even though I may believe that's what I'm supposed to be doing, there are moments where each one of them Come with a challenge that make me want to create a backup plan just mm-hmm. in case, or you know, have something on the side just in case, so I yep. don't go through. Yep. Uh, so I protect myself. I'm uh, pr- protecting myself. Yep. But that's that's that faith step of just go, and when you get there, burn the boats, and now there's no way off. It has changed the way that I commit, and changes it has changed the way that I um, I work within that commitment to achieve. It's wow. different.
0: I love that. I'm going to buy that and that feels like like I could I could send some college football coach like in the halftime giving a burn the boat speech like you're like yes we're burning all the boats we're not leaving here without a W I'm not leaving here without the wind that's right I can see that going down well Tadashi I'm so grateful for you and anytime your Baylor Bears are not playing my Texas Longhorns I always cheer for them and so um,
1: thank you I appreciate it. yes
0: yes, yeah. I'm a Texas girl I'll literally cheer for almost any Texas team as long as they're not playing my team Um, same
1: yeah same yeah
0: so it'll be it'll yeah. be good. Well, Tadashi, I'm grateful for you. Um, thank you. So many blessings. I wish upon you um, and pray thank for you. you and what you're doing and just honored to be a part of hearing your story today. So thank you so much.
1: Thank you, sis. I really appreciate you having me. It was an honor. It honored mine. I'm grateful to be here.
0: The Happy Hour is produced and hosted by myself, Jamie Ivey, with assistance from Nikki Ogden and Ashley Caldwell. And the show is edited by Jason Talley.